Well, I used to believe that everyone loves roller coasters. I did. I mean, I understood, like, cognitively, that there are people who say that they don't like roller coasters, that there are people who say that they, that they don't love roller coasters. But I used to believe that really what they were dealing with was a fear, was a fear of roller coasters, and if they could just conquer that fear, that they, too, could experience the bliss that roller coasters bring. I used to believe that everyone loves roller coasters until I went on a roller coaster <laughs> with my nephew, Caleb. Several years ago now, I took my nephews and my niece to Canada's Wonderland. And I don't know uh, what your Wonderland strategy is, but I don't like to waste any time. Okay, I like to go straight to the biggest roller coasters, try to get ahead of uh, the long lineups, you know. And so we got there, and right away, we got into the line for the Leviathan. Right? And the Leviathan is the biggest roller coaster in Canada, actually. And after uh, about 45 minutes of standing in line, we finally made it on to the roller coaster. And uh, my nephew, my niece, Sean and Aaliyah, they were really pumped, they were excited. But then there was Caleb, and Caleb was a little bit nervous. You know, he's not really like a heights guy, he was feeling a little uneasy, and so I just kept reassuring him about my theory. You know, once we get up there, once we get going, you're gonna love it, it's gonna be amazing. And so we got buckled in, and we took off, and the ride started with a slow climb up a really steep slope. Some of you know, some of you know this climb, right? And then we hit a peak, it's really intense, and then we flew down uh, this slope at 148 kilometers an hour. It's an 80 degree slope, 148 kilometers an hour. I checked the details just to make sure I didn't mislead you. And as we were flying down this slope, I looked to my left and I saw Sean and Aaliyah, okay? And they were screaming, they're laughing, they're throwing their hands in the air. It was pure bliss, right? As expected. And then I looked to my right and I saw Caleb and he was screaming, <laughs> but it wasn't the good kind. <laughs> of screaming. There was no bliss on his face. He had a look of pure terror on his face and he was just holding on to the handles as tight as he possibly could, gripping for his life. And that was when I realized that not everyone loves roller coasters. For the first time in my life, in that moment, I thought about what roller coasters must feel like for people who don't like Roller coasters, I mean, you're strapped in to a hunk of metal. You're flying at breakneck speeds through twists and turns and ups and downs that you don't see coming, that you don't have time to prepare for, that you don't have time to recover from. You get turned upside down and right side up and then spun in circles with no time to process what's taking place. 
Right? There's no time to catch your breath. There's no time to control. There's no way to control it. There's no way to slow things down. There's no way to get off of the ride. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like that with life? <laughs> like your life is moving at an unmanageable pace and the world's throwing all kinds of twists and turns at you, and there's no way to control it, there's no way to slow things down or make it stop so that you can just catch your breath. We're living in a culture where things operate at a frenetic pace, where we're surrounded by noise and distractions, where big companies spend billions of dollars every day trying to hijack our attention for even just a second so that they can sell us dish soap or shoes or whatever the algorithms tell them that we might be sucked in to buying. We live in a culture where we are pulled in all kinds of different directions as we try to keep up with the demands of our jobs and our families and our volunteer work. And as we try to live up to the expectations that other people have of us and as we try to live up to the standards that are set for us by social media. We live in a culture where the most socially appropriate response to the question, how are you, is no longer good. It's busy, right? And all of the chaos and the noise and the busyness of our culture is taking a toll on our mental health, on our physical health, on our relationships, and on our souls. Study after study has confirmed this, but the truth is that we don't need the research to know that it's true, do we? Because we feel it. We feel it within ourselves and we can see it on the weary faces of the people around us. And yet, when Jesus walked the earth, he went around saying things like this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is the gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus teaches us that there is another way to live, that there is a way of life that's characterized by rest, that's characterized by peace, peace of mind and heart, that's characterized by joy and life to the full, and that this way of life is available to us, but we can only experience it through him. So for the next two weeks, we're gonna be in a little bit of a mini-series called Going Deeper. And we're gonna talk about what it looks like to get off of the roller coaster, to step outside of the busyness and the chaos of our culture, and to let Jesus set 
the pace and the direction of our lives. To slow down long enough to go deeper. To go deeper in our relationship with God, which is what we're going to focus on today, and to go deeper in our relationships with each other, which we're going to talk about next week. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can open it up or pull it up on your phone to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verse 38. 38 to 42. So this morning we're going to look at a passage that most of us are probably familiar with, but it's a passage that we really don't talk about all of that much. And yet it's a passage that is incredibly relevant for us in our culture today because it paints a beautiful picture of what it looks like to resist the temptation to get sucked into all of the busyness and distraction of our culture and to orient our lives around Jesus. And so let's have a look. Luke 10, we'll start at verse 38. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem, and they stop at the, at, at the house of a woman named Martha. And we know from other places in the Gospels that Martha and her sister Mary live in a village called Bethany, and that these sisters and their brother Lazarus are good friends to Jesus. And so Martha welcomes Jesus and the disciples into her home. In verse 39, her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Now, when we read this verse today, it's easy to miss how countercultural this would have been in Jesus' time. Because to sit at the feet of a rabbi in this culture meant that you were a disciple of that rabbi. And women were not allowed to be disciples. This was a culture where there were really clear, really rigid distinctions between the roles of women and the roles of men. And yet here was Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus in the position of a disciple. Right? This was scandalous. This was unheard of. And Jesus is letting it happen. And the word that's used here for listening has a deeper sense to it in the Greek than in the English. In the Greek, the sense is that Mary is really kind of soaking up Jesus' words. Okay, she's not sitting there like we often do, kind of scrolling through Instagram. Right? She's not distracted. She's not listening to a few words here and there and then laughing at funny memes in between. She's really listening. She's paying attention. She's hanging on to every word that Jesus says, and she's taking it in. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. So while Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach, Martha's in the kitchen trying to pull together a big dinner. And she wants everything to be just right. Because this isn't just anyone 
that she's making dinner for, right? I mean, she's making a meal for Jesus. She wants things to be perfect. She doesn't want to miss any of the details. And all of the disciples are there as well, right? And so Martha has her hands full. I mean, you guys know how teenage boys eat, right? Right, Eric? Lovers, right? Yeah. Mary or Martha has her hands full. And we can all relate to how Martha feels in this moment, right? It's like at your family dinners when there's that one relative, right? that one relative who always disappears, suddenly just disappears when it's time to do the cleanup. Or it's like when you're working on a group project and there's that one person who just never seems to get the emails. Right? There's always technical problems, it's amazing. Martha's trying to put together this big dinner on her own. And as the pressure increases, Martha's patience decreases. And she snaps. Right? She snaps. She goes to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you think it seems a little bit unfair that Mary's just sitting here while I'm in the kitchen working my fingers to the bone? And in this moment, there's no doubt in Martha's mind that she is in the right. right? I mean, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Jesus needs to just open his eyes and come to his senses and send Mary back to the kitchen where she belongs. But that's not what happens. Let's have a look at verse 41. It says, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. Notice the gentleness and the compassion in Jesus' words. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. Now, before we go any further, let's pause here for a second. Do you really believe what Jesus says here? What would our lives look like if we really believe Jesus when he says that there's only one thing worth being concerned about, that there's only one thing that really matters, that the only thing worth worrying about is intimacy with him, is being present to him, is discipleship, to him. What would our lives look like? It would change the way we do everything else, wouldn't it? Jesus tells Martha that there's only one thing worth being concerned about and that Mary has discovered it and it won't be taken from her. Now, it's tempting to read a passage like this and to kind of paint caricatures of these two women in our minds, to stereotype them and to label them kind of according to the way that we see them behaving in this passage, right? Martha's the doer, and Mary's the more contemplative type, right? Mary's the, or sorry, Martha's the type A personality, and Mary is the type B personality. But the truth is that Mary and Martha are both humans like us, Right? They're both complex like us. They, they both have different values and priorities tugging them in different directions like we do. 
And in this story, we get a glimpse into just one of those moments where Martha gets pulled off track in a way that we can all relate to. I mean, personally, like, I can't relate so much to the kitchen thing. I'm like more of a, if you know me, right? I'm more of a like, let's just order pizza kind of person. But we all know what it's like to have too much to do and to become overwhelmed and to lose sight of what matters most and who we want to be. What Martha's doing in this passage is a good thing. Right? She's not doing anything wrong. She's preparing a meal for the people that she loves. She's being hospitable. She's serving others. And serving others is something that Jesus calls us to again and again and again. Martha's problem isn't that what she is doing is wrong. Her problem is that she's gotten her priorities mixed up. Martha's so stressed and worried about doing things for Jesus that it pulls her away from the presence of Jesus. And so she becomes worried and anxious. She becomes resentful and bitter. She becomes so consumed with everything that she has to get done that she is in the presence of Jesus and yet all that she can think about is how Mary isn't pulling her weight. Right? Jesus isn't saying that Martha's in the wrong here because she's making dinner. He isn't suggesting that we all need to quit our jobs, sorry, <laughs> or like get rid of our kids, right, and live a life of quiet contemplation. That's not his point. But when our heart is fixed on the one thing that really matters, when our relationship with Jesus is at the center of our lives, it changes the way we do everything else. It changes the way we work. It changes the way we engage with others. It changes the way that we serve. And so we're free to say yes when it's time to say yes, and we're free to say no in those situations where it's time to say no. And we're free to do everything that we do in love. Mary had discovered the one thing that was worth being concerned about. And because of that, she was able to push away all of the distractions that were competing for her time and her attention. And one of the beautiful things about Mary is that we're always finding her at the feet of Jesus. Three times in scripture, we read about Mary at Jesus' feet. Here in this passage, she sits at Jesus' feet just soaking up his words, learning from him. In John 11, Mary falls at Jesus' feet and she weeps as she grieves the loss of her brother, Lazarus, who had died. And Jesus would go on to raise Lazarus from the dead, but as Mary knelt at his feet sobbing, he was so moved in his spirit that he wept alongside of her. In John 12, Mary anoints Jesus' feet with an expensive oil in this act of extravagant love and worship, preparing him for his burial. We're always finding Mary at the feet of Jesus. 
Jesus' love for her and her love for Jesus were the core of everything that she was and everything that she did. And when Martha comes to Jesus overwhelmed and upset, Jesus doesn't scold her, he doesn't shame her, he doesn't shut her down. He calls her by name. He calls her back to herself. He lets her know that he sees what's bothering her. He sees the worry, he sees that she's upset. And he invites her into a different way of being into a way of living that flows out of intimacy with Jesus. When Martha, like her sister, comes to discover the only thing that's worth being concerned about, it will change the way she does everything else. The deeper she goes in her relationship with Jesus, the more her service will be defined by joy and generosity rather than worry and resentment because it will be motivated by the love of Christ that fills her and flows through her. So what does it look like for us to, like Mary, discover the one thing worth being concerned about? How do we step outside of the noise and the busyness and the distraction of our day-to-day lives and focus on what really matters? Before we wrap up this morning, we're going to look at three shifts that this passage invites us to make. Three shifts that will help us to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus and to really let him set the pace and the direction of our lives. All right, so first, this passage invites us to shift from hurry sickness to a place of rest. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer talks about a phenomenon called hurry sickness. This is a term that's been used by psychologists and mental health workers to describe a growing trend that they're seeing in people in the world that we're living in. So psychology today defines hurry sickness as a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness and an overwhelming and continual sense of urgency. Anyone relate to that? It also uh, describes it as a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time. Anyone here feel chronically short of time? And so tends to perform every task faster and get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Does that sound familiar? The authors of the article suggest that you might be suffering from hurry sickness if you find yourself moving from one checkout line to another checkout line that has less people in it or looks like it's moving faster. Just throwing it out there, maybe, maybe you can identify with that. Another indicator they give is you might uh, be suffering from hurry sickness if you count the cars in front of you and you either get into the lane that has the fewest number of cars or where the cars are moving uh, the fastest. And the third indicator that they give that is a clue that you might have hurry sickness is multitasking to the point of forgetting one of the tasks. Who amongst us doesn't experience that on a daily basis, right? It's probably safe to say that most of us meet the criteria for hurry sickness at least some of the time. 
Ironically, we live in a world where all kinds of technology has been developed to try to save us time, right? And yet somehow we're busier now than we have ever been before. In her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Ruth Haley Barton talks about some of the signs that we might be moving too fast. She says that when we're moving too fast, we become irritable, right? Little things just get under our skin and annoy us. We become hypersensitive. Minor comments might hurt our feelings or get us really upset. We become restless. Even when we do have the chance to kind of slow down and take a break, it's like we can't actually relax. We become numb. Like we just don't have the energy to have empathy for others or to even feel our own feelings. We become prone to numbing behaviors, right? Things like addiction or just binge watching Netflix or scrolling social media to just kind of numb out and try to escape. We don't have the energy to do things that are actually restorative for our bodies and for our souls. We become disconnected from our identity and our calling. We lose our sense of who we are and what we were made for. Corey Ten Boom once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. I'm going to say that again. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And there's truth to that. Busyness crowds out our sense of God's presence in our lives. And I mean, listen to that list. It brings out the worst in us, right? It brings out the worst in us. And God's people have always been called to a different way of living. After God rescued the Israelites from slavery, he gave them the law, right? And one of the commandments that became the most central to their identity was keeping the Sabbath. While they were in slavery, the book of Exodus tells us that the Israelites were forced into crushing labor, like nonstop labor. But when God set them free, he wanted the Israelites to understand that to be his people meant that they would experience rest that they would experience rest because they had a God that they could trust. They had a God who was caring for them and providing for them. The brilliant theologian Dallas Willard was once asked the question, if you could describe Jesus in one word, what would you say? Just think about that for a minute. How would you answer that question? If you could describe Jesus in one word and only one word, what would you say? You know what Dallas Willard said? He said, relaxed. Relaxed. And think about it. He's right. right? Jesus was never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. Jesus took the time to be present to people. He didn't mind being interrupted, right, if people needed his help. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus often withdrew to places where he could just be alone and pray, be with his Father. He was never in a hurry. He moved at what John Mark Comer calls the pace of love. Because he trusted God. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was called to. 
and he trusted God. And he invites us to enter into his rest. And there's kind of two different aspects of the rest that Jesus invites us into. On the one hand, embracing Jesus' gift of rest might mean actually rearranging our schedules, changing the way we're, live, we're living. It might mean working less or giving up an activity or deleting social media from our phones or actually like taking on the practice of the Sabbath so that there's some rhythms of rest kind of built into our days and our weeks so that we're free to live in God's presence, to experience God's presence and to be present to the people around us. And so it might mean actually changing how we're living, changing our schedules, changing the way we're spending our time and just creating some margin. And on the other hand, we're invited, into, we're invited to live out of this place of inner rest that can only be found in Christ. Right? Regardless of what's going on, Paul talks about this as peace that passes understanding. In Christ, we can experience peace that holds steady, right? even when life throws us into chaos, because Jesus is our peace. He is our peace. So going deeper in our relationship with God means slowing down and entering into the rest that Jesus invites us into. The second shift that this passage invites us into is this. This passage invites us to shift from looking to the world for our identity and our value to finding our identity in Christ. It's so tempting for us to look to the world to tell us who we are and how we should be living. But Mary shows an incredible amount of courage in this passage. This is a courage that could really only come from knowing the love of Jesus deep in her bones. Because the world told Mary that she didn't belong at Jesus' feet, right? that she couldn't be a disciple. And Jesus was constantly redefining the social boundaries of his culture. He was constantly inviting the people that society pushed into the margins to be with him, right? This was the most, one of the most controversial things about Jesus. If Jesus, sorry, if Mary let the world tell her who she was, she wouldn't have, com been, he, she wouldn't have felt comfortable there. She wouldn't have been able to receive Jesus' invitation into discipleship to sit at his feet. If Mary was worried about meeting other people's expectations, she would have been in the kitchen, right, in a flurry with her sister trying to get dinner ready. If Mary felt like she had to prove her value or her worth by her performance, she wouldn't have been sitting on the floor soaking up Jesus' words. She would have been mashing potatoes or something. But the only person that Mary was looking to for her value and her identity was Jesus. She was able to tune out the other voices and to let Jesus' voice be the only one that held any weight, the only one that mattered in her life. And in our world where we're surrounded by voices telling us who we need to be and what we, wanted, what we need to do if we want to belong and if we want to have value, part of going deeper with Jesus means learning to hear his voice louder than all the others 
learning to tune out all the others and pay attention to the voice of Jesus. And regardless of what the world says about us, regardless of whether or not we're performing well or measuring up, Jesus invites us to sit at his feet and to find our identity and our value in him. And lastly, this passage invites us to shift from doing things for Jesus to living life with Jesus. This passage makes a contrast between Martha, who's doing all of the things for Jesus, right? Good things, beautiful things, important things, and Mary, whose only concern is being with Jesus. And Jesus' response makes it clear that with no question, with no ambiguity, that Mary is the one who's getting this right. That what Jesus is after is our hearts. That what he wants is our presence. And everything else flows out of that. To the people in Jesus' time, this would have been shocking. Right? This would have been shocking. And even though we might believe it, we might understand it, we might agree with it conceptually, we so easily drift towards living as though our faith is about the things that we do. We're so used to needing to perform in order to win other people's approval, whether it's in school or work or in our social world. We're constantly comparing ourselves to others, seeing how we measure up and trying to, uh, to find a way to perform better, and to achieve more. And so this way of thinking can really easily bleed into our spiritual lives, to our lives with Jesus. And yet from Genesis to Revelation, scripture testifies to a God who's all about relationship. Scripture testifies to a God who is willing to go to any length to bring us back to him. Right, right when it seemed like all hope was lost, God became flesh and blood and he entered into the world as a human being, right, in, in Christ. He experienced everything that we experienced. He showed us who God is, what God's like. He showed us how to live. And he died and rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. So that everything that once separated us from God could be overcome. And so we could live every day in light of his grace and his love. And today, his Holy Spirit lives in us. Like, think about that. God's very presence is within us, guiding us, working in us, transforming us from the inside out. A life of discipleship to Jesus isn't about what we do for God. A life of discipleship to Jesus is about being present to the God who's present to us. It's about being empowered by his spirit and living in responsive obedience to him. It's about trusting in his grace and his faithfulness through all of our ups and our downs and our successes and our failures. Going deeper with Jesus means shifting away from trying to do things for God in order to earn his approval and instead living every moment of every day with God, 
as we surrender our lives to him. So this passage invites us to shift from hurry sickness into rest, from looking to the world for our identity to finding our identity in Christ, and from doing things for Jesus to living life with Jesus. The good news for Caleb was that a ride on the Leviathan only lasts three minutes and 28 seconds. (laughs) And as our cart slowed down and then we came to a stop at the end of the track, I looked over at him and there was this sense of relief that just like washed over him. Then he took a deep breath and he kind of sprung back to life as he realized that it was over. It was over. He was free. He'd survived. In our anxious and hurried world, in our tired and weary world, the rest that Jesus invites us into is an incredible relief. And as his followers were called and invited to be the people who show the world that there is another way to live, that we can live lives of peace and joy, that we can live lives of meaning and purpose. We can have the life and the life to the full that Jesus promises when we keep our hearts and minds fixed on the one thing that really matters and let Jesus set the pace and the direction of our lives. I'm gonna finish how we started this morning. I'm gonna finish by reading that verse This verse is from Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. And um, it's a little bit of a sampler, actually, for tonight, because we're going to come back to this passage again at the the practice. And so another shameless plug, we'd love to see you there. But I just want to invite you one more time to just let your heart and your mind (laughs) focus on the words of Jesus. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to experience your peace, your rest. And we acknowledge this morning that we are so easily kind of pulled off track from that, pulled into chaos and busyness and distraction like Martha. And we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your gentleness in gently calling us back to you. God, help us to be people who live out of the rest that you provide, who live life and life to the full. And before we continue in worship uh, this morning, I'm just going to invite you, we're going to take a couple moments as we often do to just kind of reflect on how this kind of impacts our own lives and what this looks like for us. So as you just center yourself in God's presence and take a deep breath, it's kind of been a theme this morning, take a deep breath in, take a deep breath out, Let yourself be reminded that God is here, that he's with you, that he loves you. 
and just take a moment to think about what has been pulling you off course in your relationship with Jesus. What's been distracting you, pulling you away from your relationship with Jesus? Maybe you've been dealing with hurry sickness. You're looking to others to kind of tell you who you are and what you need to do if you want to live a life that matters. It's been pulling you off course. Now, how is Jesus inviting you to go deeper in your relationship with him in this season? How is Jesus inviting you to draw close to him in this season? Maybe there's some practical changes you need to make to your schedule, to the way you're living. Maybe it's just being drawn back to that place of inner rest, tuning your heart to his voice instead of the voice of people around you. How's he inviting you into his rest? Jesus, you see us exactly as we are, and you love us exactly as we are. Help us to receive your grace and to be transformed by the power of your spirit to the people that you made us to be as we center our lives on you. In your name we pray.